Welcome to The Strategist, episode 1039. I'm your host, Annalise Klingbeil, and with you, as always, Stephen Carter and Corey Hogan. You know, Good why evening, couldn't you bring the, fi- bring the fire like you did just before we started to record? You know, where's the fire? You just slagged me so hard before we started to record. I'm still pissed. Well, and then you come in with yep. this kind of weak sauce introduction. Like, we'll, you're we'll the nice you're the nice. Carter, like, that, uh, I, I was waiting for your countdown, and then you're mad at me, so you wouldn't even look at me. I'm not even looking at you because you pissed me off. You were so mean to Don't me. Don't worry. My friend Corey Hogan is here. I was here for it. I appreciated it. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, you should have introduced him as the ghost of Stephen Carter because he was outright murdered uh, before yeah, the show just started. before the show started. <laughs> and you know what? We're not even going to tell you what she said. We're just going to leave it out there and just, you can know, just know, you know what? that it was fucking brutal. We'll, we'll put it on Patreon. Yeah. And then, we'll paywall yeah, guys. There yeah. you go. We'll paywall it. Um, Your shame can be behind a paywall, Steve. Yeah, well. Which is normally the case anyhow, but just in a just, different way. Just now. 50% of the time, my shame's behind the paywall. 50% of the time. Yeah. Speaking <laughs> of paywall, I don't know if you guys know, on our last paywall episode, when Carter made a plug for merch, it worked. People what? bought merch. Get out. That's true. When do I get how my do check? How you know that? Because <laughs> the person who bought it tweeted about how much it worked. She's oh, like, hey, go. I bought two mugs. Good job. Advertising works. Thestrategist.ca. Yeah. Now, it's been said that we have an authenticity problem, and people regularly tell us when we plug merch, they're surprised that there's actually merch. Yeah, because sometimes, you know yeah, sometimes we make up bits and it's they're actually not merch. True, but there's actually merch. Yep. Guys, go buy strategist merch. Everyone listening, um, we're gonna we're we're gonna jump into it. We've got lots to talk about today. It's budget day in Alberta. It's also budget, budget day in BC. Day in BC. Corey, yeah. you're taking you're taking my lines. Also in BC, but we're in Alberta. I care about Alberta. We should talk about Alberta. Um, That's good because so, I didn't really look at the BC one yet. So let's try and focus. Good. Well, there's an election in Alberta. There is actually like oh yeah, there's to the consequences. This is an election budget. That really matters. Does wow. it? Um, okay, let's jump into our first segment: money, money, money. Um, it's <laughs> it's that was so Why are you laughing? <laughs> the look on your face when you said the third money. It was like it's something I'll never have. One day, this whole podcast could blow up. You could have dozens of dollars. Um. Okay, so it's a minister. Where what happens today? Minister Travis Taves tables the budget this afternoon. Um, the NDP want this to be Premier Daniel Smith's first and last budget. The election obviously is slated to occur in a couple months, um, and this budget comes as provincial revenues from royalties are sky high. The pre-election budget today unveiled that was unveiled today it has a surplus of 2.4 billion, um, and it includes increased spending on a range of areas like healthcare, education, police, and even the premier's own office budget. So lots to discuss. I know both of you have many many thoughts. Um, let's dive in and let's just start at the big picture. Carter, what is your overall um, your overall reaction to the budget? And I think it's worth noting the UCP. You know, they've been leaking out tidbits of budget stuff for weeks. Was today's budget what you expected it would be? Well, I mean, I'm, I'm calling this the Jason Kenney budget. This is uh, programs and ideas that Jason Kenney started. There's no, nothing particularly new here. Um, Danielle Smith, it, it seems like just mere months ago, was musing about killing the uh, Springbank uh, dry dam project, but that's still listed as one of the the key infrastructure projects. One of the things to hang your your hat on on this on this budget. Um, I didn't see anything particularly new. You know, there was nothing that got me excited as an Albertan that that oh maybe we're going to get uh, high speed rail. Nope, that's not here. Um, instead, it's a five million dollar study into a blue line expansion. Um, you know, on a project that is actually quite a ways down the capital list of things that need to happen in in the city of Calgary. Uh, I don't see the the mayors of Edmonton or Calgary running around, you know, slapping each other on the back saying, "Oh, thank God for everything we just got." I mean, Calgary ostensibly got more than Edmonton, and I'd be really hard pressed to tell you anything that really mattered in Calgary. Certainly, yeah, what know, di- what did Calgary get? We got some investment in the de- in the Deerfoot. We got some uh, in- specific investment in a North. Calgary Health Clinic, uh, which will uh, benefit, uh, I don't know, people who live in the north, I guess. And it's for Airdrie as well. Um, 
I don't think that that's necessarily a project that needed to be done, but, you know, there was a lot of pressure from the folks in the North to do that. Um, you know, small projects. I mean, the Deerfoot was one of the largest uh, at uh, $300 million or something along those lines. Well, that's not even an interchange, really. I mean, like, on the Deerfoot, it's it's a significant project to, to redo uh, what, what you know, we used to call the Deerfoot Squeeze, right? The the extra lane that just kind of disappears on on Glen, at Glenmore. Um, this isn't going to do it. It's just simply not going to do it, not to the standards of today's road construction. So what did we get? What are the things that people are going to be talking about at the water cooler tomorrow? Uh, because they're certainly not going to be talking about the influx of funding to, to primary care or the, you know, the maybe the billion dollars in total spending that goes to... to um, to healthcare, but I don't even think that because I think the billion dollars that's being spent in healthcare is actually, um, you know, it's so spread out that you don't actually see anything that that gets you excited. And I'm certainly not thinking that this, to me, would be my, you know, if I was going up against in an election where, you know, Stephen Carter and 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 Corey Hogan predicted that the most likely outcome is 44, 43. Um, I'll tell you something. I'd be trying to buy an extra couple of seats if it were me. Uh, I don't see an extra couple seats being purchased in Calgary at all. Not at all. Corey, why don't you jump in there? Do you agree with what Carter's saying? Do you think this is a winning budget going into a close election or is it a losing budget? So it's interesting because I agree with Stephen uh, when you look at it through like a capital projects lens. There's not the big splashy ticket items I would have expected going into an election in Calgary, right? You know, normally when you think of election budgets, you think of big projects. People are going to talk about shovels in the ground kind of stuff there. And in that sense, it's it's really not. Uh, Stephen's right. The amount of money put into these projects, relatively modest compared to the cost of these projects. The blue line one was interesting. So that's the spur line that would go to the airport on on Calgary's uh, northeast LRT line. And as Stephen said, like not actually that high on the capital list. This is kind of a, a growing trend in governments for them to kind of ignore the people they're funding and just pick the thing that they want to do no matter where it is on the list. I think in the 90s, we got into this idea of lists and we wanted transparency in lists and that grew in credence over decades. People seem to have just walked away yeah. from it entirely and gone into kind of this pork barrel approach again that was more popular before that. But you know, let's step outside of capital for a minute because for me, the operating budget was more interesting and in an operating sense, I don't feel like it was a Kenny budget at all. You know, the budget, it does come, you know what I thought it was? I thought it was a PC budget. I thought it was a PC election budget. And I thought, oh, I guess we're doing this again, right? Where we reduce, we reduce, we reduce, and it's an election year. And let's slap 5% into that, 5% into that, 5% into that, and claim the good times are back again. And, and that was really interesting to me. Uh, it tells you... A little bit, I think, about where the UCP's head is right now, where they're worried about shoring up. But yeah, I mean, I, it's ultimately a pretty forgettable budget, yeah, in my opinion. Totally. What's it? I guess just to back up a bit, talk to me about what the strategy here um, going into an election is, right? Like, we know budgets are important. Um, budgets in Alberta before elections are important. We all know what happened after Jim Prentice's tough times budget in 2015. So if you were advising, what's your strategy unveiling a budget when there's this huge surplus um, and oil's doing great and we have an election in, in you know, writ drop in two months? What what should be the strategy? Yeah. So the strategy has, uh, I think over time morphed. Like when you look at old budgets, they're, they're, they're fiscal documents. That's it. Right. But somewhere along the way, people have come to the realization that money's pretty useful when you're trying to, when you're trying to get people to get excited about things. So what happens now with the budget is it's the event. It's today, but of growing importance are the days around the mm -hmm. event. Um, so we've seen an awful lot of pre-budget leaks this time around. That's gone on forever. But, you know, what we used to do is is we used to just give it to the media and like it would be in a Don Bray column all of a sudden, like we hear this money is coming, right? What we've seen this time is actual government boards announcing money, like board, like uh, social media boards announcing money before that money has been announced in the legislature, which is arguably not even allowed, right? Yeah. But um, – we're seeing more of that. You're also going to see over the next bit, I am sure of it, governments use this money to control the agenda, I guess is the point I want to make. So they tried to control it in the weeks before, and they will try to control it 
with the weeks to come. And you'll see a lot of the the roadshow, small town, investments that were in the budget but haven't been announced in the budget, big line items that haven't been made fully clear, being articulated and clarified as the budget goes on. And I would bet for the next two to three weeks minimum, you're going to have an announcement a day of money for various interests, not even so much because of the value of the money, although that's obviously there and the stakeholder group, uh, you know, enthusiasm will follow, but because it controls the narrative, it controls the agenda and the conversation, and it keeps the opposition responding to good news government announcements instead of trying to drive their own agenda. So that's the real value of the budget. It's not so much that it's a set piece today. It's that it signals spending season, and it's, and as a result, it signals uh, you know a season where government really gets to control the agenda more than they do uh, in the rest of the year. Carter, do you have anything else there on the strategy front? And I guess, too, like keeping Calgary um, in mind, knowing, you know, that it, it it all comes down to Calgary. So what does what does that strategy look like in Calgary specifically? Well, I mean, when when I worked on the budget in 2011, 2012, what we had to try and come up with was a budget that, that satisfied two halves of a party. Uh, one half was fiscal constraint and the other half was was spending money on things that people actually wanted. Um, and it was a tough balance, right? Because when you when you try and balance a budget, um, you have to make tough decisions. And the thing with this particular budget, they didn't have to make any tough decisions. There's so much royalty money coming through. Uh, and this is something that that really isn't the preamble of the uh, of the budget, but really is the central element of it. Um, we have reached payout on a number of oil sands projects. Uh, we've talked about this before in the past. How important is that? Imagine going from a 4% royalty to a 45% royalty. You don't have to imagine it. It's actually what happens. It is a massive change in the way that the revenue structures are, are, are put in. And then there's one line just in the in the finance side of this budget that simply says there are no additional oil sands project, projects projected. That has been where the where the where the Man. where the um, employment comes from, right? Those projects are the things that hire two, three, four, five thousand Albertans to work on them, and the the benefits of that employment just kind of spins around the province of Alberta. That has been gone since two thousand and fourteen, two thousand thirteen, arguably. It is not coming back, and that is what the government has said. What we are seeing is, and I believe that Travis Taves actually quoted this in his budget speech, this is the last oil boom. We promise not to piss it away this time. Except, you didn't use the word piss, Carter. Well, now that just takes all the wind right out of my sails, Annalise. I mean, wh- <laughs> why you got to be like this the whole time? Except, what? keep going. Oh, keep, factually okay. accurate. Look, when does that I'm become curious. a thing on the podcast? Oh, you didn't see it? He didn't um, see He it. didn't use the word piss because he, what did he say, squander? Tinkle it away. Tinkle yeah. it away. He, he should have used the word piss. And then we'd at least have something to talk about. Carter, you were you were saying such smart, intelligent things there. Get back on that. And thing then you that interrupted, interrupted me, you. and it's all gone. <laughs> you know, I barely put it together there, Annalise. Thanks a lot. Bottom line: this is the beginning of the end of the oil and gas money. And when you're getting twenty plus billion, I think it was twenty six billion, almost twenty seven billion in royalties yeah. right now. That is, oh, you know, it is very nearing fifty percent of spending, right? Like. This is a massive problem in the future, right? We have to balance our revenues and expenses without using royalties at some point. It doesn't matter if it's today, tomorrow, or the next day. At some point in the future, we will be reducing the amount of royalty money that we are bringing in, and we need to pay for the things that we want. Um, this budget just kicked the can, and and Corey's description of this as a, as a PC budget probably is the best <laughs> there is because there's no financial restraint, there's no there's no addressing, um, you know the the future uh, a carbon intensive future or car you know de-intensifying carbon in the future, and there's no addressing uh, the the revenue imbalance that we have in this province. Corey Hoppin. yeah, like let me jump in on that, you know, and I I'm not. I'm not that interested in giving just a critique of what I like or don't like about the budget. There's other people who can do that. But I'll say from a strategy point of view, what I find really interesting is that this particular budget is exactly what Stephen said. It's it's a big spending budget. It, it is $68 billion spending 
budget. That number boggles my mind. I remember when we were flirting with 50 billion and thinking, oh my Lord, yeah. you know, 55 billion. Jesus, that's a lot of money. 68, boom, like that. And the debt actually does not go down over the next four years. The debt is held constant in this budget, despite the, despite the small surpluses that are going forward. And we've basically taken a line that we used to mock other provinces for doing, which is like, well, but our debt to GDP ratio is okay. Yeah. Right. And actually it, it probably is. To be totally fair, it's about 10%. It's probably fine. But it is a far cry from that, you know, conservative battle cry of uh, of reducing debt and, and the ills of debt. And if this is truly the last oil boom, this does nothing to structurally change our finances. And that's really interesting. Carter, you want to jump in there? Yeah, there, there's, um, there's something to be said for you know, the structural change and the booms and those types of things. Those are all challenging. But what I think is interesting about this, and Corey's talked about this a number of times over the years, is that budgets are a communications document. And what I want to understand from this document is what is the communication through line? Um, there is an increase of almost a billion dollars in public safety spending, almost all of which is going to, to it appears, the sheriffs and, and public spending. You know, this is something that's going to be uh, addressed in the future. Um this is the first step towards a provincial police force, right? Like they are, they are taking the first step towards a provincial police force and they are doing it not in the small towns uh, that we kind of imagined it to be, but instead we're starting to see provincial police forces in our large cities. Um, And this is something that we, you know, I don't think anybody was really expecting uh, was to see that this deployment would happen in, in our big cities first. Um, this is a this is a very interesting strategy because I'm not sure that you get the big bump that you would have gotten from spending uh, you know a lot more money on public safety in rural areas uh, where this is a much bigger issue uh, than spending it in downtown Calgary because downtown Calgary they've got a billion dollar hole on on their uh, downtown revitalization not one penny went to it uh, last year was only five million dollars it was laughable but. Last year was $5 million more than this year. Uh, an absolute joke in terms of what they're spending in the downtown core. So I'm just like, how do you expect to clear up the downtown? You're just going to put everybody in jail? Because that's not going to work. That's not the way our court system works. Yeah, but, but Stephen, it's not actually for downtown, right? It's, it's for people who hear stories about how scary downtown is and now yeah. think the government is doing something about these scary downtowns. You and I know that's not the case. Um, I I live just on the other side of downtown. I go for walks downtown all the time. I'm never that worried. Um, but there is this image of this growing lawlessness downtown. And so by sending the sheriffs there, people who live in the suburbs and exurbs can feel more comfortable about downtown, yeah. which they think is a very scary place. But is this, an, is this actually going to get that talking point delivered? Like they've got so many talking. This is one of the challenges of every budget. And Corey, you had to communicate this. So I'm going to, I'm going to step on your toes a bit and you'll clean it up. But there, when you have a, this many things, you are literally spending all the money on all the things. This is everything the government's mm-hmm. going to do. Literally. <laughs> yeah. For the next year, right? <laughs> and arguably for the next two, three, four, five years where they're doing their projections out. How do you come up with a through line? And the through line that I have from this this budget is there is no through line. And you can see that with the way the media is reporting on it. The media, the pundits, the 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 observers, they're all calling this a big spending budget. But when you look at it, when you dig into it, what are they spending it on? How are Albertans actually going to feel the difference in their own pocketbooks? Because there's not very much new here. And having run an election in 2012 on not very much new here in a budget, I can tell you that is a fucking nightmare to be in. We wound up basically throwing away our budget document and starting to spend money willy-nilly in order to try and win back the public's attention uh, because the public wasn't paying attention to our budget document because there was nothing to pay attention to. So what what's like kind of what you've said there, um, Carter, which was very, very smart. Oh, my um, God. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but but you've, what, what you've said about the big spending thing is exactly it, right? If you look at the headlines, OK, it's a big spending budget, 68 billion dollars. That's a lot. But what what are those big spending things? Where's our train to the airport? Where's, you know, some of the big expensive promises um, that they've, they've talked about before. There's no kind of takeaway. It's like, oh, well, there's more money here, more money here. Um, but what, 
what are those big things? And I guess is that like does this does this budget fail going into an election if no one really knows what the takeaways from it are? So let me jump in there and just say, like, I think it's too soon to tell. Like, I really want to stress budget day is not an event, like not a day, at least like there's, there's more to come. We already know there's this idea of an Alberta fund, which has money set aside for next fiscal. I'm, I'm baffled from an accounting treatment, how it works. I, I need to dig into it more. Perhaps the budget documents say it, but they're, they're clearly trying to find money and put money aside for things to come. And they always do going into an election because they want to be able to announce things. So there'll be, there'll be pots of money, either the surplus that's unspent or dollars that are unallocated with that. They can then build into these announcements going forward and be able to say, and by the way, this is our, there's room for it. It's funded. It's already good. And, and that is increasingly what people do going into an election here, right? Um, they, they identify blocks of dollars and, and they try to control the agenda going forward. We haven't seen the full budget yet. The legislature won't even see the full, I mean, they'll see the full legal budget, but they're not going to see the full consequences of that budget. This budget undoubtedly has been built with consideration that a general election is coming. And and because one is, they're not going to put everything in the budget, right? They're going to hold a few things back. And I think you can expect that at least a few big ticket items are still to come. Let me posit an idea towards you. And and you tell me again if I'm crazy, Corey. Um, What if Travis Taves didn't write the budget that way? Like I'm just flipping. Well, that would be. I'm just flipping really because I'm flipping really bad by him. I'm well, flipping that, through the okay, budget, that, and I'm that, not seeing the pockets of opportunity that you're describing. Because I've written the pockets of opportunity before. You've yeah, seen the pockets of opportunity. There's no pockets of opportunity in this budget. Sorry, Annalise. That no, that's another interesting point, Carter. But what I was gonna ask was, is this like is this a Taves budget or is this a Daniel Smith budget? And do we think behind the scenes they're on the same page? Hmm. You know, it seems a little free spending for Taves in my experience with him. There, there is some talk about wanting there to be like, you know, longer term fiscal restraint, balanced budget laws, that kind of stuff, which does seem like the Travis Taves I know. Um, but it, it certainly feels like an election budget. Right, the idea that you're all of a sudden spending increasing on health by four percent, increasing education what five point five percent, just splashing some money around. That's that type of money splash generates virtually no outcome. Well, and that's you know, why the I think it's Taves. About it I is, think it's more it's, Taves than it is Smith. It's after holding the line, so it's also like, do do people see it as like, okay, we're back to normal, or money is coming back in? It's just, it's really interesting to me. It's a really tough budget, I think, to go out and sell. I mean, if you were, if you and I, Corey, were asked to go and sell this budget, you know, could we? No, so I wouldn't. Right, I would use this as my my defensive shield against the NDP's attacks on healthcare and education. And then I would spend all of my time talking about the economy and fighting with Ottawa if I was Danielle Smith. So I think we have to assume that's actually what's going to happen. Like in some ways, this is maybe boring as the point of this budget from a strategy point of view. It's like, here we are. You know, what are you even talking about? Health spending went up 4%. Education spending went up 5%. You know what? We're in a position to do that because the UCP government has put this province back on track. And for years, we had to hit the brakes because of the bad, bad government of Rachel Notley. Like, how is that not they're going to be their story? Okay, but Corey, are you saying it's a boring budget full of pockets of opportunity that we're going to hear about in the coming weeks? Is well, so there's the operating, but, you know, so I think the, let, let's put it this way. Carter's point about like, it's all the money cannot be overstated here. Like $68 billion is an unfathomable amount of money. That's basically the same amount of money as like IBM globally spends in a year, right? Like that's, government is a huge part of our life and yeah. we forget that, right? Like $68 billion is mental amounts of money. And so, you know, there's all sorts of opportunities that you can sprinkle in within there, but it is it is anchored by a bunch of really big, really expensive rocks, education, healthcare, like the, the delivery of those services. And I think that uh, Stephen's right, like it goes up 5%. That's a tough budget to sell. That's not very interesting. That's just operating money 5%. But the sale is maybe not the point. Maybe it's defensive on that stuff. Those big rocks are defensive. But I have to imagine there's a few billion dollars that are there to allow them to do things that they want to do in the next election. I don't know. We made that mistake. We made that mistake, which is why I I asked the question, because we didn't leave enough 
you know, pockets of cash to go back in and, and kind of start moving things around. Um, so we had to kind of react on the fly because we had done a budget that said, this is what our future is going to look like. Uh, what I frankly was still very proud of, but we had to, we were getting eaten alive by the, uh, the people, the people who expected to see stuff. Uh, like I, I have said it a, a, a million times. People expect they're, people are selfish and they expect something good to come from these types of budgets. And I think that Danielle Smith is going to be hard pressed to for to explain to people what good is going to come from this budget. You know, when I look at, at the tidbits coming to Calgary and the tidbits going to Edmonton, um, I just don't I think there'll be a few happy organizations, but I'm not sure that seven point five million dollars for the uh, wind sport, um, you know, lodge is really going to get them there. Yeah, but they're, they're you know they're going to say like we have to take care of the economy before we can take care of each other, and they're not going to use those words, right? They say we're going to have to take care of the economy before we have we can afford to have the most generous social programs. And the peril, the cautionary tale of the NDP years is we didn't take care of the economy, and then look what had to happen in all of these spending programs. Now, of course, like they're the ones who did those actions, so it's a bit ridiculous, but. That's going to be a line that has some currency with Albertans, and it does allow them to speak in their message box about economy. And you want to know one of the most baffling things about today's budget? It's just the most baffling from my point of view, is that the UCP stood up there and invested a pile of money into social services and talked about that all day. And the NDP attacked them for it being a big spending budget uh, you know, most expensive summer ever coming. Uh, you know, that's that's really weird to me because it seems like both of them were in the other person's message box. So, like, what do you make of that? Yeah, I, I wanted to get into um, opposition reaction. And I know that was a line repeated several times today, most expensive summer ever. Uh, what strategy-wise from the NDP... What's your advice for them? What do they do, especially when we're seeing, and we can, we can talk about healthcare kind of separately because I want to get into that given yesterday's news, but when the UCP is investing in healthcare and education, what, where does that leave NDP strategy wise? Well, I mean, who's, who's actually seeing the benefit from the healthcare and the education, right? I, I think that there's a, a case to be made that you know, the average parent's not going to see this when they drop their kid off at school. Uh, I think that there's a case to be made um, that, you know, your your commute to, to work's not going to get any easier. There's a case to be made that health care um, needs, re- you know, needs reform, not more money. Uh, and that's where you can start going after this. The, the money that's going into this isn't going into our pockets. The money that's going into this is going somewhere else. I mean, it's it's going away. But just because you spend a lot of money doesn't mean that I'm going to feel it. And I think that the case can be made by the NDP that this money isn't is not actually getting to the people who need it the most. You know, the most pressing issues that we have in Calgary and Edmonton are, you know, the, the revitalization of our downtowns. Not a penny. Not a penny. Um, th- those would be dollars that you feel immediately because as soon as you start to get the re- the downtowns revitalized, that means less taxes for you to pay, right? You will pay less taxes in the future if we put this billion dollars into downtown Calgary. And it would be market. It'd be significant amount of less taxes. <clears throat> we, you know, this is a big thing. Corey, jump in. Yeah. Less tax, fewer taxes. That, that just, you know. Just to, just no, to put less that tax out is how we in the real world say it, Corey. But, you know, if I'm the NDP, oh, he's a fucking. I think the challenge is to to spend all of this time saying like they're spending too, like I think spending too much is just way off message for them. Yeah. I don't know. I don't. I don't appreciate or understand what they're doing there from a strategy point of view. I I think that it's particularly challenging because there have been reductions uh, in the past couple of years in in kind of real terms when you consider inflation plus growth. And I, I think it, it should have been treated more as like, you know, you should always be skeptical of deathbed conversions. You know, the UCP showed you who they were over the last four years. Believe them. This budget is because they know they're about to face you and they're going to have to try to make good of it. But like, you know, when when the you know the dad leaves for cigarettes and comes back four years later and says, "But hey, look, I brought the cigarettes." You don't <laughs> applaud the dad, right? right? Like there's there there is a dereliction of duty in the times in between that needs to be addressed. Like this is this is I think stronger area for the NDP to consider than than the idea that this is the most expensive summer ever well, the, because 
Yeah. What, what does that mean? You would actually spend less on health and education than the UCP? Well, in the most expensive summer ever, it's just literally outside. You know, who are they now? The PCs? Like what? Oh, and it's so inside ball. Like yeah. that, that, you know, like the best summer ever stuff is something that political hacks say to each other as kind of a flip reminder of the UCP. That's not what Albertans are talking about. The, what they need to focus on is the impact on people, individual people. The places the, that the money is not being spent and the focus on things like the $20 billion uh, for, or you know, abandoned oil wells. Um, th- that type of stuff has resonance, whereas, um, you, you know, the most expensive budget ever. I mean, you're just totally outside of your world. Get out of that space. Um, you know, I'm assuming again that, uh, that Lou and uh, Rachel are listening. And, in the car. Yeah, in the yeah. car. Um Rachel, yeah. stop swearing for a moment and just listen for a second. <laughs> Your messaging today wasn't great. You can do better. Focus on the people that you want to serve and stay in your side of the message box. Uh, Corey, do you have to- anything you want to say to Rachel? I, I mean, I, hi. Hope, hope things are well. <laughs> okay. Carter, to your point about focusing on those people who aren't feeling benefits from this budget, there, there's a lot of them, are there not? Like there's a lot of sectors um, that haven't <laughs> – that haven't gotten what they want out of this budget. I mean, if you're the tech sector, you're sitting here going, and, and whoa, this is it. We're, we've got we've got the world by the by the tail now. Everything's going to work out for us. Um, if you're the service sector, if you're the if you're uh, tourism, uh, which has struggled so mightily over the last few years, are you saying, well, this is the big comeback for us? Um, if if you're in oil and gas, sure, things are probably just rosy um, because you're making so much money without having to invest in any new spending. Uh, but you know, this is this isn't helping enough people. This isn't helping enough people fast enough. Um, you know, basically the 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 supports that are coming in for for to to settle down the cost of living. These are supports that we've had with us for the last few years. These aren't new supports. These are the same supports that we had before. You know, what are you going to do for me this this year? Uh, what are you going to do for me now? That's what people want to know. And that's where the NDP really have an opportunity here is to jump in and say, yeah, what what can we do? that will help individuals? What can we do that will help moms and dads? Like it's, it's so easy to get caught up on the groups. Forget about groups, focus on people, individuals. That's where the opportunity lies. Yeah. And look, I think that there is, there's something to be said for it's, it's harder to climb out of a hole than just to walk past one. And, and this, like, this is, this is now fixing problems they created in the system you know, be be leery of that. You know, be leery of this last minute money, and and that would probably be. Carter's right. It's all about people. It's focusing on the people. It's it's reminding people of the the course of action in the past. Expanding the points of view here, uh, beyond just this particular budget. It's not saying that this budget is a big spending budget. I don't know who they are if that's their message, and that's a problem. Like, because not like Albertans are going to look at that. You never want to be a surprise to people. Like if you're if you're a well-defined political party with a well-defined brand, most of the time people should be able to look at the things you do and they should say, oh, that makes sense. Yeah, of course, that's the way they're going to be. That's the nature of brand. Brand is our ability to shorthand and say, we know what the NDP response to that would be. We know what the UCP response would be to that. Today, I'm confused about both of their brands. You know, that's that's an interesting thing about today. Well, and the, the the all about people thing, exactly right. Like communications one hundred and one. Carter, just so much good, smart. Oh my god, Annalise, I know where you <laughs> live. <laughs> I, this is... uh, let's, uh, you know, that's the sort of thing I would expect to hear from Corey, but it's just oh, out of your mouth tonight, Carter. Let's so talk a little bit anger. about uh, Carter. I think it was you actually who brought this up, um, but I just want to dive into this thread: the the police force, the sheriff stuff. Um, yeah. So the they're still considering creating their own police force. There's no sp- specific money in this budget for that, but there's like 84 million um, for policing and sheriffs and um, exploring alternative policing models in municipalities. And this comes after this announcement we saw in Calgary last week, if not the week before, about putting sheriffs downtown. I believe there was a similar one in Edmonton. I guess what do you, uh, Carter, if you want to jump in, like what do you you make of that? And from a strategy point of view, does that, the fact that there's now a dozen or however many sheriffs boots on the ground in downtown Calgary, does that win them votes in Calgary? I don't think so. 
I mean, I think that most people don't interact. I mean, there's going to be lots of people downtown, uh, especially over the summer. We'll see more and more people coming back to their offices. Still not still not everybody's back downtown, right? So as they start coming back, uh, they may see uh, different uniforms, but I'm not sure they're going to put it all together. Uh, it's not like the sheriffs are going to be handing out leaflets. Hi, we're the new sheriff in town, literally. Um, instead... Well, now I think they should. Uh, now I know, right? Great. It's really good. Really good communication yeah. tactic. Um, yeah. But, in you know, so I'm not sure they're going to get much in the way of benefit for that. And when you look at polling, starting up your own police force doesn't have that much positivity. One thing that has gone kind of unnoticed is that the government of Alberta did give, I think it was $16 million or something like that, to the city of Grand Prairie to start their own municipal police force. Well, you know, Surrey just went that way, and they're switching back to the RCMP, or at least they're trying to. This is a expensive venture, uh, and I think that cities and provinces that try this venture uh, are going to find themselves spending a hell of a lot more money. So again, this this is an opportunity to talk about, you know, we, you know, obviously in the NDP war room, I'd be saying we want to keep spending, you know, local. Uh, we want pr- cities to be able to address issues uh, with policing because we can trust our city politicians in a way that we can't trust our provincial politicians. Is that not yeah, though, no- like, does that not get a little bit in the weeds or complicated if you're someone who's been downtown and felt unsafe? Like, how do you how do you fight with someone's like, you know, personal sense of what they felt? Well, are you going to feel more safe just because there's more police around? Certainly not if you're in a minority. Probably. Well, not if you're a visual minority, you're not. Well, I think you're oversimplifying. I'm not oversimplifying it. Here, it. But, I'm not at all. Man. It's absolutely, you know, we have had the vis- the visible minority councillors have been in council, have all been pulled over by the city police in a way that the, the white councillors haven't. And I'm just picking a very small sample of people. Tell me, tell me that it's not true when it's true. It's absolutely true. So the fact that there are new, new people downtown wearing new uniforms isn't going to make a whole lot of people feel a lot more safe. But to Corey's earlier point, what like aren't some of these people these people in the suburbs who don't ever go downtown but have seen a few headlines that is bad and scary down there like i guess just from a they don't come from a strategy anyways. but from a strategy point of view they're clearly going hard on this like police force thing sheriffs in downtown calgary why is that just because this is who they are or do they think this wins votes no they think that this is the step towards getting their their police forces this but what, is but their how does that win votes they need to want that. Just they need to just start walking towards the end goal. Yeah, can I tell you if if that is their plan, it's a bad one, right? Yeah. I, they should because they have unless they're planning to run the election on a police force, which is also a bad plan based on what we know about polling there, then they are they're kind of trying to set up the chessboard for moves that might happen after checkmate. Like they should be exercising towards an election, not towards a police force, which is like a post-election challenge of theirs. I think it's about about appearing to address an issue that is rising in salience with people, which is crime, right? And and people have this fear of crime, and they have this sense that downtown is this crime ridden place, and and this is just trying to address it in a way that is showy and splashy, and it's boots on the ground, and it's kind of like the simplest, most straightforward path to being given. Uh, credit for this because it's not even that you're getting the local police force it's you're getting provincial police in there you know the sheriffs are in town to your point <laughs> that Literally. would be a really good line if they, they need brochures you know, i'm telling you <laughs> they should listen yeah. to my super smart commentary hey annalise yeah you should do communications for the sheriff's car okay. that's what i'm hearing <laughs> Fantastic. you totally should Boy, um okay let's jump into healthcare. Healthcare, healthcare, healthcare. You like that, Carter? Oh, I love that. Uh, yeah, it's a callback to the other title. Yeah, that was you see really what good. I did there? I want you to know, Zane would have had like five penis jokes by now. Yeah. Just for the record. <laughs> very upsetting. Um, so we, I mean, it, a few different things we can talk about here is healthcare in terms of today's budget. And then 
as well, on Monday, Alberta became the seventh province to sign an agreement in principle with Ottawa on healthcare funding. Um, more than $24 billion will be invested in our healthcare system over the next decade. Also yesterday, Alberta Health Services, um, their official administrator released his 90-day progress report, which is another kind of interesting little healthcare tidbit. Um, but I guess the big question here in Carter, let's start with you. Is like, how does this announcement of uh, a deal with Ottawa change some of your previous advice for the NDP and I guess the UCP for that matter when it comes to healthcare as we head into the election? Well, I mean, I think that the the opportunity for the NDP is that people are wondering where this money is going to be spent, right? Um, you know, today's budget. Uh, didn't give us much in the way of of kind of a roadmap. Now, in fairness, the deal was signed today, so it's not like, or yesterday, so it's not like they had a tremendous opportunity to incorporate this into the budget. But let's put that money into perspective. We increased healthcare spending to you know by less than a billion dollars. You know, more billions are going to be coming in uh, for the UCP. So. Where are they actually spending them? Who's actually going to be seeing that benefit? Because as to right now, I'm not sure that this change of putting their their health czar in place has actually created real positive outcomes from the people actually seeking health care. Um, I'd stand to be corrected if someone can actually point me to, you know, where those uh, measurable outcomes that uh, I can't remember his name, Corey, you probably have it on the tip of your tongue because you're super smart like that. Um but, you know, his report made barely a ripple, um, in part because the budget was today and in part because I'm not sure that people are are thinking that this UCP government is where they're going to turn to to see significant changes in healthcare. And again, I, I could be wrong, but I just don't think that they've got that brand position structure uh, that Corey kind of talked about before, where you when you have a brand position, you stick with it and people can automatically associate things with you. Well, I don't associate good healthcare with Danielle Smith, uh, with her COVID vaccine denying personality. But does it does the fact that you know they've made this deal with Ottawa, um, and it happened fairly quickly? Like, does that mute a little bit of the criticism that could have come from the NDP? So I would say the combination of this budget and yesterday's healthcare announcement, it's very, well, both of the healthcare announcements, both John Cowell's report and the deal with the feds, they are trying to take healthcare off the table, right? They are declaring, this is the, the equivalent of George W. Bush mission accomplished on healthcare. Yeah. They, um, there's, there's logic to it because they are coming up to an election and at a certain point, a, a former colleague of mine and Stevens, Jim Murkowski, uh, he used to say before an election, like at a certain point, uh, you have to create your own weather, right? Oh, yeah, we worked with him at Hill and Knowlton, but you would have worked with him in government yeah. there. Yeah, Anna. I know yeah. Jim. So I guess all of us know Jim. But, he, you know, he, he would always say at a certain point, you have to make your own weather. And it doesn't matter what the weather is. You just sort of declare the forecast. Yeah. Right? And there's a lot of logic to that at this particular moment for a government. Like he, they can't go into an election saying healthcare is in crisis because they're the government. Now, is it remotely credible that our $25 billion healthcare system was quote unquote fixed in four months? Fuck no. It's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. Like the boat doesn't turn that fast. You could have made the most seismic decision ever four months ago. It won't even have trickled down in the amount of time that we've had here for something the size that it is. But what else are they going to do? They have to say that healthcare is fine. So they are taking these actions on healthcare. I would imagine not so that they can talk about them, but so that they don't have to talk about healthcare, so that they can put in Albertans' minds enough doubt that there's even a problem anymore, right? Yeah. Like, yeah, there was. And again, see my previous framing about because we couldn't afford it because of the NDP's economic mismanagement, but we're out of that woods now. I fixed it in four months because I'm star-spangled awesome. I'm Danielle Smith. And now let's talk about the economy and let's talk about fighting with Justin Trudeau. So, so can I just blow a hole in your uh, five-dimensional chess coming from the UCP argument? Please, please because I, I just think that this isn't who they are. They're not that good at this politics. I think that that they they wrote a... This budget reflects, to me, bureaucracy. This budget reflects um, 
like there's no there's no visionary components to this budget. Like there is there is nothing strategic to this budget that would that would reinforce the positioning that you're putting forth, Corey, that this has some sort of strategic um you know genius to it that is actually going to enable uh the UCP to get themselves out of what you were talking about a few minutes ago, which is this this um you know, we were the ones who cut healthcare, but don't worry, you can trust us to put it all back in. I just don't feel like that's the pattern. I don't feel like that's available to them. Uh, and I don't think that they're playing three-dimensional chess uh, when they do this. I think that they remain a party that is governed by their ideology more than they are a party that's governed by, you know, strategic thought towards uh, towards creating the best possible election outcome. Yeah, so I would say it shouldn't be available to them, or at least that the NDP should be able to box them in on that and yeah. take it off the table for them. But I, I think the NDP is making a couple of uh, of errors there themselves. Like, you, you effectively you have to keep uh, healthcare in the window, and you have to make it the UCP's problem. So one of the things that came out yesterday in in the coverage of this healthcare announcement was I'm going to read you this quote from uh, Lori Sigurdsson, NDP MLA. Quite talking about the federal fund. Corey, I had that quite pulled simply, up, so I'm, I'm glad you're doing it. Read us the quote. Yeah, quite simply, it's inadequate. There's broad consensus. The federal offer is too small, but Danielle Smith took it anyway. Both orders of government are failing Albertans. So here's my problem with that, right? First of all, I'm really curious who these voters are that the NDP are after who think like, Boy, howdy, you know, I just think that the problem is we need somebody tougher on the federal government than Danielle Smith, and that's why I'm going to vote for Rachel Notley. Like, I just, I don't, I think that's a unicorn, and it doesn't exist. But the other problem, and the more immediate problem is, why are you letting the UCP off the hook? You're now letting them split blame with Justin Trudeau. You're saying they're half the problem, and Justin Trudeau's the other half of the problem. What is that? How is that to your benefit? How, how, how? Especially knowing that all of the polling shows that if people actually want a government to stand up to Ottawa, they're going to vote for Danielle Smith and the UCP. Like, not ambiguous on this point at all. So, so what is this for? Who is this for? And why did you feel the need to take this very weird idiosyncratic position where you're fighting with the federal government on this and in doing so, letting your actual opponent off the hook? Well, I, I know the answer to this. Do you want me to answer this? <laughs> I know the answer good? to this. The NDP feel right now that their best strategy is to meet every single one of the UCP's um, uh, complaints about them or, or, or you know, uh, attacks in the field head on they they are running into the wall whatever wall the ucp throw up the ndp run straight on into it and say no we're not that and there's no thought given to whether or not the swing voter the, sw the voter that they need to actually move is voting on that issue yes or no they, they, they just want to refute everything that the ucp says rather than spending a moment saying is this actually important to our real or to getting us and getting you know how hard it is how many times Corey, has there been a sitting premier who's gone to become the opposition leader to become the sitting premier again i mean how, I, in your I, lifetime I, yeah. how many times has it happened cuz i can't think of one i can't how think did we talked about I, this I, on the last episode yeah, and i asked like you just, if it happened before yeah and i assumed it would never come up again so i didn't look it up yeah, well, yeah thanks i can't even think of one i told you to look yeah. it up and here's but the yeah, but the ndp can. instead of recognizing this momentous thing that they have to achieve make rachel notley the premier again instead of doing that they are entirely focused on making sure that the nd the ucp doesn't get to define them even if that definition doesn't matter when it comes to the actual election and that just makes me nuts like Sure, if they are defining you in a way that will make it impossible for you to win the next election, then you should refute it. However, if, you know, if it's not going to actually matter, then what the fuck are you doing? You're on their turf. Get off their turf. Focus on where you need to be and actually make shit happen for yourself. And there's tons of land. But they, they haven't set upon an actual messaging framework. How, when did we first start talking messaging framework? Corey, I'd ask you, Annalise, but you know you haven't listened. So, <laughs> Corey, that, like it's a bad thing. <laughs> I mean, 
it's 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 101 stuff to your point carter it's telling a story it's telling a narrative listen i don't want to overreact to one comment and one story too why not but this is our brand part of my anxiety for the ndp here is it really does feel like history is repeating itself because in my opinion this was the fatal mistake of the ndp campaign in the lead up to and in the 2019 campaign they started making this pitch that they're who you want if you want a pipeline well, if that's your issue, you're not voting NDP. Ever. So all you're doing is raising the salience of this particular issue, and and you're raising the urgency around it, and you're you're sort of playing into the other guy's handbook. And I get it. Like, you have to address certain issues to the point where they're not disqualifying, which is what I think that the UCP is trying to do on healthcare. You think they're trying to do more than that. And I think that Rachel Notley is sensibly saying, I've got to address this Ottawa stuff to the point where it's not disqualifying. But this seems to be going further, and this seems to be a cutting against some of the messaging that is actually more fertile, like healthcare. Like again, I don't know why you would make Justin Trudeau the villain on healthcare. You want Daniel Smith to be the villain on healthcare, exactly. and, and that's my fundamental problem there. And I think that there were ways that you could have made the UCP the villain and still cast shade on Justin Trudeau if you wanted to. You could say like, oh look, Daniel Smith can find billions for a profitable oil company, but seems to have a healthcare strategy of I hope Justin Trudeau comes through for us, right? Almost to laugh line yeah. because people don't trust Justin Trudeau in this province. You didn't need to say that Justin Trudeau is the reason healthcare is broken in Alberta. That's that's cutting against your strategy. <sighs> Carter, your response to that is a large sigh. <laughs> what am I supposed to say? What am I supposed to say? Like you this tell is, me. You we tell are me so frustrated on this. This this podcast is so frustrated watching this election unfold because it's not that dissimilar from the one we watched unfold in uh, 2019. You know, um, although you know the NDP, look. the NDP don't know what their brand structure is. They don't know how to access it. They don't know how to sell it. And because I, of that, they respond far too much and too often to their to their opposition. They let their opposition define where they're going to go. Now they still have time to change that. But Rachel, if you're listening, you don't have much time. You got to move. I, so, I, you know, I will say this. I think... Yes, it, it, our, we sit here and we critique strategy, and I think there's some like weak strategy at play here on some of these matters. Not not disputing, I think there's weak strategy on play for the UCP too. I do want to throw out there, and I've been meaning to say this for a couple of weeks, pretty clearly. I think the whole the NDP is blowing it narrative is also a little overblown. Like, okay, like like we're in an interesting situation where nobody is playing error free ball. There's an opportunity for the party that can figure it out and get their pants on and get ready for the bus. But, like, nobody has blown it. Like, this is a really interesting, really complex election. It could be Danielle Smith's. It could be Rachel Notley's. I ultimately think what makes this one so interesting is the winner will be the one who's better at strategy. And that's not always the case, right? I mean, sometimes it's just so clearly outside of the control of the strategists or the strategists are fighting an uphill battle. This one is going to come down to who runs a better election. I mean, and that's why strategy matters so much at this moment to both parties. Especially if you're thinking about, you know, if, if our 44, 43 kind of most likely outcome is, is even close to correct. Um, if that's the case, then each one of these strategic decisions, I mean, most people aren't going to make up their minds until like the day before the election. They, they, there's nothing that's all lost. But you get into a pattern of bad decision making and you can't get out of it. And and we've seen that time and time again, where the decisions that you're making um, can curtail you and constrain you because you start making the you don't have the right decision making pattern. And that decision making pattern, uh, if you're going to change it, it needs to be made. You know, it is a strategic choice to change your decision making project pattern and it needs discipline. And I think that that would be the message today for the NDP. It is time to be, to implement a disciplined campaign. 90 days left. That's it. Nine zero. And this is all over. There is no more time to be fucking about. And, and you're saying most expensive summer ever does not fit in with that message discipline. <laughs> you know, I'm really glad you brought that back up, Annalise, because I'd almost forgotten it. And, uh, now it's back in my head. Thank you. Yeah. Like, um, you know, really, who is that for? Like, it's a reference to, like, a comment that was made that's pretty inside ball. Well, and it's, it has no resonance it's with It's so against the brand. At all. Yeah. Just not good. Okay. Let's wrap that one up. And uh, Are we done? 
Well, I'm, yeah, I'm going to move into the lightning round unless oh. you have like, unless you have any big, you know, final budget, super, super smart insights there, Carter. No, my back's a little sore and uh, I wouldn't actually mind doing some stretching because as you know, I'm like old. Aging. So You're very old. So old. Yeah. 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 Okay. And wise. Today you're wise, at least. Old and wise. Oh my it. God. Wow. Fuck yeah. you, Hogan. Wow. <laughs> uh, okay. Let's move into the lightning round. Um, lightning round. Okay. Um, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> we do this every week. You, you, I, know, I know we do it every week, okay. but we, we've only talked about budget. Okay. Quick, um, quick lightning round budget question, which is. We talked about for the last 54 minutes, big spending budget with no like shiny headline of that big thing. Let's say you're doing strategy, you're in charge. What is that shiny big thing that you would have put in this budget that has everyone talking tomorrow? Carter, uh, what's your big thing? I think it, for me, it would be uh, transit. I would, I would probably double down on uh, building the, uh, the Green Line North making sure that it goes across the river and making sure that it serves uh, the 800,000 people in Northwest Calgary um, that are probably going to be the most likely ones to vote for the UCP uh, if they're going to stay with the UCP. You know, like it, it, those are the seats that, that Danielle needs to hold if she's going to be uh, successful. So that's that would be the big promise that I'd be making there. Okay, Corey, what's your big thing? Uh, I would stay with the... Tried, tested, and true tax cut for everybody. Oh, I, I think what's missing from this is putting some money back in people's pockets, which would also address affordability. I mean, not in any kind of sensible way, but it would address affordability as a concern that people have out there. Did, did Danny Dollars way. not try and do that? That, that don't do Danny Dollars. Yeah. Don't, don't do that. Yeah. <laughs> so bad. Um, okay, next lightning round question. Let's talk about TikTok. The fat I know I know Carter, you're a big TikTok guy, right? Big fa- I spent 17 hours on TikTok today. It was fantastic. <laughs> uh yeah. Again, we're gonna release your for you page if we hit our stretch <laughs> goals do- on Patreon. <laughs> Corey, I think when you pitched that it was actually on a Patreon episode. I don't know if the general audience <laughs> has heard about this. Oh. So this is actually a really yeah. good opportunity to get some new Maybe we should just people. not bring it up. That's a, yeah, that, that was not name, a great strategy of name mine, I forget. actually. Do we, call, we call them pa- yeah. patrons. 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 Patrons, yeah. yeah. Patrons not who are on Patreon. Okay. Yeah. Stretch goal. If we get to, you know, I couldn't remember what it was. Whatever it was. We'll just do that. You know what? If we get one new patron tonight. <laughs> no, uh, no, no, no. <laughs> yes. then, then what are we doing if we get one new one? We'll release one. The first video that comes up on Steve. Oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> you don't even want that. Okay. This and is a bad I, idea. I think, I think it was like if we got a hundred new ones, then we would just live yeah, stream your we'll for just, you page. Live stream yeah. is for you. Just page. have like oh. a live show where you just live stream Carter's for you page. This is a really time. bad idea, and, guys. And also with okay, like next to hit like a re- a live reaction shot of him <laughs> watching us watch his for you page. A hundred new patrons, <laughs> and that's what's happening in like a month. There you go. A hundred new ones in a month. Yeah. Um, well, that seems doable. An election's coming. That's actually pretty probable. I think, but. <laughs> And then have oh, this slide, the side by side uh, shot. Okay, so on TikTok, the feds are banning it from all government issued mobile devices due to privacy and security risks. Um, this was announced yesterday. Polyev was quick to suspend his account, which had like over 200,000 followers. I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, Carter, because you're the TikTok expert here. I think Jagmeet Singh did the same today, and he had like a big presence, like almost a million followers. Yeah. Uh, yeah, this so, is a big deal. It's yeah. a big deal. Well, so my lightning round question here is like, if you're advising politicians with big followings who are trying to reach young people on TikTok, because there's a lot of young people on TikTok, and then there's Stephen Carter. Um, what? What's? Yeah, watching them. <laughs> what? Shut up. <laughs> what's? What's your like? What's your advice? Do you? Do you jump on the yeah? I'm going to instantly suspend my account, or do you wait this out? Like, what uh, what should people do here, Corey? So, I think what Pierre Polyev did was brilliant because his TikTok following wasn't huge by the standards of TikTok following, 
But him doing it forced a lot of people off of TikTok, including, it sounds like Jagmeet Singh. I hadn't actually heard that he was suspending his as well. They, they say, you know, it's Sun Tzu, Art of War. All warfare is based on asymmetry. This is a perfect example. And this is so smart because he gave up very little. TikTok's not his audience. And he forced his opponents to give up a lot, a lot of equity they had built on TikTok. Because if they had not, they all of a sudden would be accused of not taking, you know, security seriously, you know, Canada's defense. And if you're Jagmeet Singh, you're also taking yourself out of the game for a lot of this conversation about Chinese spies and Chinese influence in Canada, too. Uh, by continuing to do stupid little videos, which have a big audience and maybe even help you, but are now now not available to you as a tactic. Carter, did they help him? I mean, little videos. I think that I think that uh, I agree with Corey. Uh, Pierre's move was quick, decisive, and and impactful. Uh, I think that he he made the absolute right decision. Um, but I don't believe there's been a final chapter written on whether or not TikTok actually drives any votes. Uh, we talked before about Jagmeet Singh's uh, significant uh, following on, on TikTok, but it certainly didn't help him actually win seats. So, you know, I think that the, I'm not sure that Singh's losing as much as he may be losing, but I still can't take any, uh, you know, anything out of Pierre Polyev's move. It was the absolute right move at the end really good timing. And I, and I don't think this is the end of this. I think we're going to be talking about TikTok and its security issues uh, for some time. I know I'm probably a security threat right now um, across the country because I follow a lot of uh, people. <laughs> Which is why we're going to live stream here Just, for you, Paige. <laughs> I have so many questions. Yeah. Um, okay. We're going to leave it there. That's a wrap on episode 1039 of The Strategist. My name is Annalise Klingbeil, and with you as always, Stephen Carter and Corey Hogan. Mm-hmm.